Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you are here with us today. If you are watching online at the 9 o'clock service, there's a prayer request button so you could talk or pray with any one of our hosts. If you are watching now or at any time, I would like to personally invite you to come join us here at um, our church any Sunday um, at the 9 or 11 o'clock. Would you all please stand with me and body your spirit for our call to worship, which comes from Colossians 2 and 3. In verse 1, Paul is struggling for the Macedonians, and verses 2 and 3 are his hope for them. And this is my hope for you today, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's pray. Father God, be with each person here and online. Help them with their struggles, their fears, their anger, their anxiety, sadness. Help each one of these burdens. Lay them at your feet, Lord. Remind them that they are loved no matter what's been done. Help them feel your loving arms around them and fill them with joy. In Jesus' holy name, amen.
Thank you, Father. Acts 4.12, Peter says this to the priest. He says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We find salvation in Christ.
God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, faithful promises. And time and time again, you have proven you'll do just what you say. Those storms, though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast and let my
morning. We're going to celebrate communion here in just a moment, but just a couple of things that I wanted to get out of the way first. The first is that this table belongs for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know what that means, that's exactly why we're here, and so we'd like to let you know about that. So seek somebody out. The second, depending on your faith tradition, we feel that the elements excuse me, represented here represent the blood and body of Christ. And so they are not the actual blood and body of Christ, but they are symbolic of those. And so you're going to have you come up in a moment here and you partake of those. But um, first, just as a focus, I wanted to read something from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 through 17, which says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. And so communion is really a very intensely personal thing. We should uh, take a look at our hearts and make sure that we're not taking it flippantly. You know, as Paul says, we should examine ourselves to make sure that we're not doing it that way. But I wanted to also focus on the communal aspect of that, the community that we're communing together, you know, as a body of Christ. And not only here at this church, your fellow believers, your brothers and sisters, but also across the state of Illinois, you know, because today is Sunday, are also communing, and also across the nation, and also in the remotest parts of the world where people are meeting in secret because of fear of persecution or death or prosecution. They are also communing with us, looking forward to you know, the same uh, expected time when Jesus will return, but remembering his body and his blood now. So pray with me if you would, and then you can come up as you feel led to, you know, take. Lord God, thank you for your body and your blood. And thank you also for all the others who are partaking, you know, at this moment or, you know, across time this day. And then each one, you know, partakes because we love you, because we want your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord God, we look forward to the day when you will return in, our, in glory. And Lord God, so just please help us to examine ourselves personally and to remember to pray for those who are partaking in a place where it is not safe to do so. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I cast my mind to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior arm, that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. 
in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Oh, praise, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise, oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. thank you. We thank you for trampling death, for rising again from the grave and leaving us with an everlasting hope. Father, this morning we praise your name and we praise your name forever and ever. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. So welcome to September. Don't let the weather fool you outside. I did see some trees that were changing on the way in here. So nature knows what to do, even though it feels like the surface of the sun outside, right? So anyways, welcome again. If you're visiting with us here for the first time or the second time, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and just thank you so much for coming. Uh, You've taken the first step in checking us out, which we appreciate. Uh, But as a second step, we would love, love, love to connect with you. And so what, if you're watching online, we have a couple of ways in order to do so. You can either drop your name in the chat and say hello. There's actually a chat function if you find it there. There's also an online connection card which you can fill out to let us know that you're you know, visiting with us. Um, if you're here in person, we have cards at the end of the aisles which you can go ahead and fill out and you can hand to one of the hosts as you, know, you walk out. Or please even introduce yourself to me if you'd like to today. I'd be happy to do that. I'll be outside you know, afterwards. Or you can also text here to the 844-238-7507 and just register your attendance with us. But, but thank you again so much for visiting. We appreciate that. So nextly, we have a really unique opportunity coming up for men. And um, I'm really appreciating that we're doing this because it's getting us a, a chance to get to know one another. And so this is the uh, men's barbecue and bags. It's occurring on the 25th of the month of September. Um, you do need to register for it, and it's that uh, BBQ bags after the uh, Springbrook URL there, because we have to be able to know how many are coming for food purposes. 
I believe there's a $10 cost. And the guy who's you know, behind this, Darren, really, really cares about men. Um, he wants us to get to know one another, to develop relationships, and that to lead down the line to you know, other discipling relationships. And so if you're able to do so on the 25th, that's a Monday evening, um, you know, please go ahead and do so. We're going to do some uh, bags, obviously, is by the title, and he's going to even try and you know, get the game. So if that's the reason that you're not coming, you don't have an excuse anymore. Come on out. Come on out with us, please. I appreciate it. So nextly. If you saw Pastor Rich's sermon last week, which I would um, you know, urge you if you haven't to go back and watch at least the second half, he went over just the different multiplied serving opportunities that we have here at Springbrook. And so we have um, openings here. I tried to write down some of them in you know, children's ministries for Awana. Uh, we met last week. We got a lot of volunteers. We could still also use more um, student ministries. You know, we need leaders in all of these areas. And then he also went over several different um, outreach opportunities, ways in which we can practically take small steps to reach out to the community of Algonquin, of Huntley, of Lake in the Hills, of Crystal Lake. And so if you go to springbrook.org forward slash serve and put your information in there, we'll find a place to plug you in. Each one of you, God is wired with unique talents, you know, and gifts and abilities. And so we want to find the right place for you to, to be able to serve. You can also text serve to the 844 number that I mentioned before. And then lastly, one of my favorite things, we have the small group, the open enrollment period is now open today. We just applause for that. Let's <laughs> Yay. I am here and I am a huge champion of small groups. I have... Uh, you know, personal testimony to, to that effect. And, you know, thank you for clapping with me. I'm sorry that that was a bit awkward, but I'm really excited about small groups. And so we have our open enrollment period, you know, is open now. You can go to springbrook.org forward slash fall, and they have information there about the different groups that we have. Um, you may even be open still at this point to hosting a group in your home. And in fact, if you're a, a lady who would like to have a ladies group in your home, and you don't you know, necessarily even want to lead, we have leaders that are looking for a place in order to have a group of women. And so you know, if any of these things describes you, you know, please um, you know, sign up there, get in touch with me or you know, one of the other pastors. Uh, mostly me, though, because I know what's going on with those. But um, not that Rich doesn't, but I... <laughs> that sounded wrong, excuse me. But again, springbrook.org forward slash you know, fall or you know, drop me an email. We will find you know, a group or a situation that works for you um, you know, with you know, Springbrook, we want you to have a relationship with Christ. We want you to find an area to serve, and then we want everybody to be involved with you know, a small group in some fashion. So thank you very much you know, for putting up with me. I appreciate that. And Pastor Tim will be out here in just a minute. So. Do you ever wonder if it's worth it? Do you ever think to yourself, maybe it would just be so much easier if I tried to live life just for me rather than seeking to honor God? Now, of course, we're in church. It's a Sunday morning, and so probably... Even if you feel that way at times, you're not going to come out and say it here. 
But when we look around us and we constantly hear of yet another person who had apparently professed Christ, who is now going onto social media or all over the place talking about their deconversion, or when we look around and we see the increasing marginalization of the church in our culture, when we see the, the idea of uh, biblical values that once were widely held and accepted as being considered intolerant, worthless, old-fashioned. We're surrounded by people who are pursuing other things and often seeming to get ahead in that. Do you ever wonder if this is worth it? It may be that there are some of us who come with that question even this very morning. Maybe that others are coming out of a season of struggle in which they've wrestled with that question, or others, perhaps even in these coming days, are going to find themselves struggling and wrestling with that feeling, that question. But lest we be too quick to chalk it up to a passing moment of discouragement, It's good to realize that if you have ever found yourself wondering that, if you've ever found yourself struggling in that way, we are not the first. We're not the first, and we most likely won't be the last. In fact, all through the history of the church, through the history of God's people, faithful men and women have struggled with the question, is this worth it. This morning, as we turn once again to the pages of Scripture, today to the 73rd Psalm, I want to invite you to join me there as you grab your Bibles to Psalm 73. We are going to come face to face with a man, actually one of the primary worship leaders of the people of Israel who face precisely that same struggle. And so, as you turn with me there now, to Psalm 73. We're going to wrestle with this question of what is the point of godly living in the midst of an ungodly world? Why should we live godly lives? Why should we pursue the things of God in the midst of a a world that is only interested in walking the other way? Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1, we find these words. A psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. 
Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said thus, I will speak. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Here we find this man by the name of Asaph, this worship leader amongst the people of Israel, and he is struggling with that very question that we asked. And his struggle is over the seeming worthlessness of godliness in a world where it is the ungodly who seem to prosper. Asaph relays here his struggle, and he tells us that he had almost stumbled. Uh, if you notice here in the, in the first verses, he starts off by saying, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He, he is writing this psalm from a place of stability. He's writing this psalm having come through the struggle he's about to relay to us. But then he tells us what their struggle was that he faced, and it was an intense one. He describes it here. Now, it's interesting that we note that he uses this phrase, uh, uh, the pure in heart, because through this psalm, this phrase is going to appear six different times, and it has to do with this issue of godliness, those who are upright before the Lord. But he says, while this is true, that God is good to his people, to those who are, who are pure in heart, he says, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. He literally uses this picture of, 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 of walking along uh, on the edge of a cliff and almost losing his footing. He recognizes how difficult this struggle was for him, and he tells us clearly the reason for his struggle. The reason for his struggle was that, as it says in verse 3, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was looking around, and it was those who didn't have a care at all about the things of God who seemed to be prospering, who seemed to be winning, who seemed to be getting ahead. And I found myself increasingly envious of them. And he explains that the reason for his envy was that from his perspective, these ungodly, the, the, these people who are living in ways that are contrary to God's command, as if God does not even exist, 
they seem to have everything going their way. And he lists a whole bunch of different things here. Uh, that As he looks at them, he sees, like uh, verse 4, they have no pangs until death. And then he says their bodies are fat and sleek. Now today, if we start to describe somebody as being, uh, as being fat that way, it might be considered to be an insult. But back in the ancient world, the idea was they have an abundance. That's why they can be fat, because they have so much good stuff that they're enjoying. And he explains that those who are not following after God, they are prosperous and prideful. They are fat and full of good things, even while they are foolish. They step on others, and yet they are on top of the world. And if that's not enough, They mock God. They say things like, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? In other words, they're saying, you know what? If God is even there, if He has a problem with the way that I'm living, either He's he's incapable of doing anything about it, or He just doesn't really care. So their attitude is, does He see us? Does he care? Because look, we are doing perfectly well without him. And then kind of summarizes what he sees with those who are walking apart from God. If you look at verse 12, he says, Behold, these are the wicked. They are always at ease and the increase in riches. So that's kind of his summary. Uh, this is why I'm envious because everything that they do seems to work out fine. They're always at ease and they're increasing in riches. And then he goes on to perhaps a bigger struggle. In verse 13, he says, In vain have I kept my heart clean, and I have washed my hands in innocence. In other words, he's saying, God, I have tried to follow your ways. I've tried to honor your commands. I've tried to do things your way, and it seems like it was pointless. It seems like it's not getting me anywhere. Now, again, lest we think that that Asaph maybe had some superficial, legalistic sort of uh, idea of a relationship with the living God, I don't think that's the case here. I don't think he's just going through the religious motions. I think that this is a man who earnestly and honestly was seeking to honor God with his life. But he is struggling as he looks around. He's saying, God, I feel like... Everything that I do in obedience to you, I feel like everything I do in pursuit of godliness, it's getting me nowhere. In vain have I done these things. In vain have I kept my heart clean. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. And his kind of heart, his struggle here is they have everything and I have nothing. They have comfort, and I have uh, uh, affliction. If we were to kind of put ourselves in Asaph's shoes today, we might say, 
What's the point in godliness when it's the people who cheat that always win the prize? What's the point in godliness when it's the people who mislead others that always close the deal? What's the point in godliness when it's the girl who compromises who gets the guy? What's the point in godliness when it's the one who steps on other people who gets the promotion? What's the point in godliness when so-called godly principles are considered to be outdated, intolerant, or hateful? What's the point? But if it, as if that wasn't hard enough, first of all, he's struggling with, this, with the prosperity of the wicked. Secondly, he's, he's wrestling with his own heart and wondering about even his own pursuit of godliness. Is there any point, any value, any worth to it? He finds himself in a difficult situation. We see this in what he says in verse 15. He says, if I had said I will speak thus... I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Now we need to understand, here's Asaph. He is a, he is a worship leader. He's a leader amongst the people of God. Uh, when the people assemble together, he's the guy who's there playing the guitar and leading people in worship. I don't think they had guitars back then, but you get the point. And he says, if I had shared with everybody what I was going through, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I would have, if I, if I had come up and said, here's what I'm struggling with. If, if Kyle comes up here on a Sunday morning and says, hey guys, it's so good to be here. Let me just tell you about all of the issues that I have and, 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 and that I'm struggling uh, to know whether or not following God is even worthwhile. He says, I would have betrayed those who are your people. I would have, I would have cast seeds of doubt that would have been destructive for some. And so we've got to be careful here. Because as we, as we consider this struggle that he's facing, we, we have to look at this in right and proper balance. We must be careful that when we are facing difficulties, when we're facing challenges, when we're struggling, when we've got questions, when we are wondering this sort of thing, God, is any of this worth it? God, are you even real? Don't struggle in silence. Don't struggle in silence, uh, but also don't Hang it all out there for everybody to see and hear and give input in. One of the great challenges we have in our day of social media is that, let's be honest, people just lack discernment as to what they should share in that setting. And so there's all sorts of people who put stuff on there, and then there's this idea that this is sort of this, this, uh, this super highway of wisdom. Really? We have to be careful when we find ourselves in the midst of these sorts of times, these seasons, these places of struggle. Hear me on this. Because it may be that some of us are here, right here, right now, today. Don't struggle in silence. 
but don't hang all of your struggles out there just for everybody to see and hear. Google is great for restaurant recommendations. And Facebook and YouTube cannot be beaten for an abundance of cat videos. But for the really important things, we need something deeper. We need something more. And if you find yourself in this place of struggle, I want to plead with you, come and meet with one of our pastors here at the church. Come get connected to one of the small groups that Pastor Jeff was talking about so that you have people around you. Get connected with with a Christian counselor and we can help you with that if you need to work through some, some painful and difficult things in your life because the reality is that when we find ourselves in this place, we must not struggle in silence and act as if it's not there or paint on a, a smiley face when we are broken inside. But we've got to be wise as to what we deal with that, uh, how we deal with that, and we need We need a shoulder to cry on. And we need a hand to hold. And we need a friend to pray. And in order to have that, it is a wise thing to bring around us just a trusted one or two godly people who can walk with us in the midst of our struggle. But it's interesting because in this psalm we see that just a few verses later a shift seems to have occurred in the way in which Asaph is understanding things. Because as we, as we look at how the majority of the rest of the psalm unfolds, we see now the surpassing worth of godliness. And so we see this this movement from the struggle being the seeming worthlessness of godliness in a world where the ungodly prosper to a perspective of the truth that we live godly lives in an ungodly world because Christ is of greater worth than anything that this world has to offer. Uh, and we see this in these following verses. In verse 18, we read, truly you set them. Well, who's the them? The wicked, the ones that he, was, uh, the, the, that he was envious of just a moment ago. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them to fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you, he says. And so after being envious of the seeming prosperity of the ungodly, Asaph now comes to this place where he recognizes their true and ultimate end, and it is ugly. Now, I think it's interesting because he begins this psalm by saying, uh, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had almost stumbled. Uh, but now he, he has a perspective and he looks and he sees those who are, have, want nothing to do with God, who are running after their own way in opposition to him. And he says, truly they are the ones who are in slippy, slippery places. Truly they are the ones who, whose foot is about to give way. And we see 
the, the instability of the ground that they're walking on and the certainty of their coming judgment. Asaph also recognizes, kind of in a repentant way, how he was acting toward God. When he was, when he was envious of what they had, he was, in a sense, dishonoring God. He was, uh, uh, he was blaspheming God by failing to recognize God's goodness and faithfulness in his own life. And he even describes himself here. He says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, in other words, when conviction grabbed a hold of me, I realized that I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. In other words, he's saying, God, forgive me because I have acted like just a wild animal in my attitude towards you. I have been beastly towards you. What he does is he shows us how God, in a sense, renews his perspective so that Asaph is able to rightly recognize the blessing of a life that is lived in pursuit of God. We see this in these verses here. Verse 23, it says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my, by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Oh, and then he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. And so he, he, he comes to this place now of understanding and having assurance and having a, a sense of stability in the knowledge of the truth. And first of all, he, he uh, mentions here that I am continually with you. Uh, before he was envious of those who were doing their own thing because they were accumulating property and they were accumulating possessions and all of this stuff. But now he recognizes, yeah, uh, that may be what they have for the here and now. But God, I have your continuous and never-ending presence. And that's better by far. He says... You hold me by my right hand. He says, before I was envious of the stuff they had because their bank balances provided a level of stability for them. And I wanted that. But now I come to understand that my stability, my security is in the fact that your mighty right hand is holding me, that, that you have a hold of me with your strong hand, and you will not let me go. Friends, there is no more secure place to be than in the hand of God. He says, you guide me with your counsel. And I love this. He says, and afterward you will receive me to glory. He recognizes a certain hope. 
that is true of every believer in Christ Jesus. That we look forward to a welcome to glory. That on that morning when this life is over, we will enter into the presence of our God and Savior. And we will be with Him forever and ever and ever. And He says, there's nothing that they have that can compare to that. There's no hope or confidence that they have that can compare to that. And we see that when we, when we rightly know our God, Asaph helps us to understand that we will, we will comprehend that nothing in this fleeting world even begins to compare with Him. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, but I'll be honest, I struggle with it. As He cries out, Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a beautiful statement. Can I say that there is nothing on earth I desire beside him? I don't know. But I want to. I don't know that I can say it right now, honestly, truly, but I want to. And Asaph is making the point here. He's saying, I've come to understand that all of that stuff that I was chasing after is ultimately fleeting and ultimately empty in comparison to him. And when I, when I have my, my, my vision, my sight correctly aligned, I see the surpassing worth of godliness. In fact, he even expresses here that, it, it, that this is more valuable to him even than his own health and his own life. My, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. To have Christ as our portion is greater than any other thing. The words here kind of remind me of what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and of a, of a song that's now a little bit older uh, uh, that is based on, on, on that portion of Scripture from Philippians chapter 3. It says, All I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Asaph came to that place of understanding. Paul came to that place of understanding. And as we follow after Christ Jesus, as we grow to know him ever more, so the fleeting things of this world increasingly lose their luster. Such is the true wonder of the Christian life when we come to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. There is nothing else that can ever satisfy our longing hearts or even come close. But we have a question that we have to ask here. 
because we saw at the beginning of this psalm, he's saying, here's my struggle. I was envious of the wicked. This, I, my foot had almost stumbled. And then he comes to this place of, who have I in heaven but you? First of all, he see, it seems to be pointing to the seeming worthlessness of godliness. And now he's talking about the surpassing worth of godliness. But how did he get there? You know, some of us like watching those home renovation shows, and they show the before pictures, and they show the after pictures, and yeah, they show you a little bit of in-between, but it's like, I don't know how they got from here to there. It would be easier for us to find ourselves in this place, and if we're in a place of struggle today, or if we have a loved one who is going through the kind of struggle or question that Asaph had, or something else entirely that is leading them to throw up their hands and say, God, I don't know if any of this is even worth it. not enough to simply know that we're not the only one having a struggle. It's not enough to simply know that, hey, when you get through this, this is how you should be. It's like, how do I get there? Well, for the observant amongst you, you may have noticed that I skipped two verses in the middle. I was thinking about offering a prize if anybody saw that, but I decided not to. You see, we looked at verses 1 through verse 15, and we looked at verses 18 through the end of the chapter, but what we see in verses 16 and 17 is the solution. And the solution is quite simple. Go back to the sanctuary of God. What does he say? But when I thought how to understand this, it seems to me a wearisome task. In other words, Asaph is saying, when I'm struggling in the midst of all this and trying to make sense of it and put it all together, it was overwhelming and I didn't know what to do with it. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. In the sanctuary of God, Everything took on its proper size and perspective. In the sanctuary of God, he was, re, he was able to take his eyes off of the stuff that had so captivated him with envy and set it on reality again. Now, we don't know for sure when he says, I went into the sanctuary of God. We don't know if he's talking about the, 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 the tabernacle or the temple because Asaph was, was serving uh, uh, during that, that period uh, towards the end of David's life and early in Solomon's life. So it could have been either of those. Most likely, it's just really a reference to the idea of until I got back into the presence of God. So the shift comes when he gets back into the presence of God. The shift comes when he comes before him and is honest about his struggle. But we might well ask, what does that look like to, for us today to simply say, go back into the sanctuary of God? How do we do that? The first thing that we need to do is we need to run to God in your struggle, not away from Him. Run to God, not away from Him. You know, one of the great challenges that we face when we're in a season of struggle is sometimes the temptation is to isolate ourselves from everyone and everything. And that includes God. 
after years of pastoral ministry, I cannot even begin to tell you how many people I have had come to me. I've not seen them for a year or more. And they have come up to me one Sunday or one day or I've bumped into them in the grocery store, wherever it may be. And they say, oh, pastor, you wouldn't believe how hard a time I've been having. And I know that as a pastor, I'm supposed to be really like compassionate and kind in my response. But I kind of want to say to them, yes, I would. Because in the very moment that you needed God, you ran away from Him. In the very moment that you needed His people, you cut yourself off from them. You fool. What did you think would happen? Don't run from God in your struggle. Run to Him. He is big enough to deal with your grumbling and your complaining. He's big enough for you to shake your fist and say, God, this doesn't make sense. But whatever you do, don't run away from him. Run to him. Run to the provision and the resource that he's made within his people. The church, don't cut yourself off. Go to the sanctuary of God. Go to the sanctuary. Go to him in prayer. Go to him seeking him, not to social media. We've already talked about this. No, this is not a I'm down on social media message. But the problem is we live in a day where everybody goes and posts stuff and thinks that they're going to have some profound wisdom from all of their friends who are facing struggles on social media. Go to God. Get into the sanctuary. But how do we do that? When we go to God, we go in prayer. We go to God in prayer and we lay ourselves bare before him. God, I need you. We sang that song. Don't just let that be a song that we read off of the screen and then we leave here and we act as if we don't. Every hour I need you. If I was writing that song, um, first of all, you wouldn't want to sing it if I was writing it, but um, I would change that lyric. Every second I need you. We're dependent on him. Go to him. Lay yourself down in, 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 in raw reality before him. Because when we do that, when we do that, we are reminded of his comfort and his grace. The apostle Paul to the Philippians says that when we make our requests made, uh, be made known to God, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What happens when we pray? All sorts of things. I I, I can't even begin to explain many of them, but I do know that we have a promise in Scripture. When we pray, God delights to give peace that passes all understanding. In the presence of God, dig into His Word so that you can know him as he truly is and soak in the knowledge of his greatness. Often the reason that we become upset with God is because we have a distorted view of God. And so when we go back again into the sanctuary and we see him as he is, when we get back again into his word, we are comforted by the truth of his greatness and his wisdom, his kindness and his goodness, his sovereignty and his holiness his compassion, and his love. In the presence of God, worship him. Worship him. 
delight in his greatness and praise him for his promises and sing again and again and again of his faithfulness. To instruct your heart and to remind one another that he was faithful yesterday and he will certainly be faithful today. And he will be faithful tomorrow. We need to remind ourselves of these things. How do we do that? We get back into the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, we're reminded of his goodness, his greatness, his holiness, his might, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we remind ourselves of the greatness of who he is, it births within us a greater desire for Christ-likeness, for godliness, for walking in his ways. As like Asaph, we begin to recognize the surpassing worth of living for the glory of God. In his presence, it's true that we may feel overwhelmed by our sin and by our brokenness. But we need to keep on looking to Jesus, who endured the greatest sin and the greatest injustice ever. And yet, for the joy that was set for before him, he endured the cross. And when we get into the Lord's presence and we see such love and such grace in the face of Christ, but like Asaph, we come to this place where we find that we have a perspective on eternity. So as we keep on looking at Jesus, we will learn to see things through the lens of eternity. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, speaks of the fact that as followers of Christ, we need to be those who learn to live not for the dot, that's this momentary life that we are in right now, but for the line, with a perspective on all of eternity. So often we focus so many things on right now, right here, in this moment when all eternity is set before us, when we fix our gaze once again on the splendor of Christ who endured such sin and suffering because of the joy set before him. So, in our brokenness, take that to God and set again the joy of eternity before your eyes. How do we do this? What does all of this mean for us today? It means that we keep on keeping on. But thanks be to God, we don't do it in our own strength. The truth is, I don't know where a lot of us are this morning. Some of us are in a place of joyful confidence. We came here this morning in a place where we are celebrating the goodness of God in our lives. Others of us came feeling very much like Asaph, like our feet are, are, are almost slipping But wherever you came, come back again and again to the sanctuary of God and keep on looking to Jesus in the midst of your struggle and keep on encouraging and spurring others on to look to Jesus in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of confusion, in the midst midst of uh, conflicting voices. Keep looking to him. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say if you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you've never yet come to that place 
of trusting Jesus as your Savior, of, of coming to experience the joy that comes from knowing the grace and the love of God through Christ Jesus, the forgiveness of your sins, that today the invitation stands open. Come to Jesus and lay your life down before him. And he will forgive you for your sins and he will take that that brokenness and he will bring healing. He will take that which is old and he will bring you because he has promised that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And when we get a glimpse of the greatness of God, we discover that Christ is of greater worth than any of the fleeting things that this world has to offer. And so that's why. That's why we who follow him know that there is joy that comes from living godly lives, even in the midst of an ungodly world. Father God, we thank you that you see us in our weakness. You do not abandon us in our brokenness. That you are present in our struggle. And that you are good and faithful, wise and kind and true. Lord, I pray that as we have gathered here this morning, that you would encourage any who are feeling weary, that you would hold fast by their right hand any who feel that they're in a place of slipping or stumbling, that you would strengthen your people, and that any who are not yet your people by faith in Jesus Christ, that this day, through the working of your Holy Spirit, that they would see the worthlessness of the fleeting things of this life in comparison to the surpassing splendor of the things of Christ. And that they would call out to you saying, God, I have gone my own way and I have pursued my own stuff. But I want you to forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for living for my glory instead of yours. Here, today, as best as I know how, I surrender myself to you. Teach me to say that there is nothing on earth I desire beside you. And Lord, for all of us who are gathered here, Lord, would you keep drawing us back into your sanctuary, into your holy presence, that we might stand in awe of the greatness of who you are. That we might have our perspective corrected wherever it goes off course. And that we might be strengthened for this journey so that we would persevere in faithfulness till Christ returns or calls us home. And we receive that welcome as your children into glory. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand with us.
Father God, Jesus Christ, who loves us and freed us from our sins through his blood and made us to be a kingdom, pre-serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As you prepare to go from this place, I just want to thank you for joining us for our corporate time of, of worship and our corporate time of teaching. We encourage you all to join us again next Sunday as we continue our series in circles. Go in peace.